You want to hear something really funny and ironic? So if you were here last week or you watched last week's sermon, I talked about Jacob wrestling with God and how he left that wrestling match with his hip out of socket and he walked with a limp. So in the middle of the night, Tuesday, I woke up with excruciating pain in my left hip. I'm not kidding. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was talking to Cheryl and Yugurt on Wednesday and I told her, I said, hey, could you pray for my hip? I really want to play in the golf tournament, like selfishly. And uh, she goes, have you been wrestling with God? And it took me a second. It kind of went over my head and I thought, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Today is the conclusion of the series we've been in, in the book of Genesis called Longing for Eden. For those of you that are guests with us, many of us are reading through the Bible cover to cover on the Bible Project's reading plan called One Story That Leads to Jesus. And so we're way ahead of Genesis by now, but we're through this year covering sermon-wise on Sundays, just hitting all the main events and stories and characters that lead to Jesus and looking for Jesus on the pages of of both testaments because he's there in the old and the new. I've titled today's message, Faith, Hope, and Love. We're going to finish Genesis with uh, the story of Joseph or the conclusion of Joseph's story. Before I get into that, in uh, the famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul concludes that chapter. He says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Have you ever had a hard time forgiving somebody for betraying you? Are you in the middle right now having a hard time of forgiving somebody that's wronged you? Well, you're in the right room or you're tuning in at the right time because the Lord has a a challenging word about forgiveness and what forgiveness looks like to forgive one another. The story of Joseph is one of betrayal after betrayal and God restoring and Joseph keeping his integrity. If you remember the story of Joseph, he's one of Jacob's son. He's kind of the the favored kid a little bit. He gets the coat of many colors and he has a dream one night that his brothers are all kind of bowing down to him and serving him and they get pretty ticked off to the point where they throw him in a well and then they uh, sell him into slavery to the Egyptians. And he goes into to, to Egypt and, and what seemed at first as a tragic thing for him, he ends up being elevated and, 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 and serving in leadership. With Jacob's, uh, Joseph's brothers covered up them selling Joseph into slavery by taking his coat and dipping it into some animal blood. And they told uh, their dad that he was killed by a wild beast. So he lived the rest of his life thinking that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast. And, but again, Joseph's life was one of betrayal, forgiveness, betrayal, forgiveness. Potiphar's wife had the hots for Joseph. And she comes on to him, and he refuses in his integrity. And then she turns around and blames him and says that he came on to her. And he gets in trouble again, and it's just this story after story. Well, towards the, the end of, in the end of Genesis, 
there's a famine in the land and Joseph's brothers are trying to find a way to get their people to some food and to some, some rescue. So they come up with this story to get back into Joseph's good graces. It says this, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive. I beg you the transgression of your brothers and their sin for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, your father. They're kind of saying, hey, dad told us, dad is telling you to be nice to us. It's basically what they're saying. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? Powerful. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And so he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How do you forgive the unforgivable? They left him for dead. Send him off into to slavery. How, do you find, how did he find that power to forgive? In this past November, the Justice Department announced a settlement between the, the families of those that were shot in 2015 at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. During, the guy's name was Dylan Roof that did the shooting. During his sentencing, the relatives of all the victims uh, could speak directly to him. And crazy, each one of them said that they forgave him. And one in particular, a man named Anthony Thompson, whose wife Myra was shot and killed at point-blank range. He, he looked his wife's murderer in the eye and said, I forgive you. And my family forgives you. But we would like to take this opportunity to ask you to repent, to repent, to confess, and give your life to the one who matters most. That's Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Unless you're following Jesus with your whole heart. I couldn't do that. Painful. I think forgiving the unforgivable, for, whether it's Little things, medium things, huge things. How do we forgive? It takes three things. Faith, hope, and love. The first one is it takes faith. It takes faith to forgive. Joseph said, do, he said, do not be afraid for am I in God's place? That takes faith to recognize. Putting ourselves in God's place creates some serious problems in our life. It's, first of all, it's assuming I can be my own moral compass. Assuming that I'm my own moral authority. You go all the way back to the garden in Genesis 3. When the serpent comes and tempts Eve, 
He says, God knows that you will be like him, you know, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, often I think we misinterpret that, that, that to become God is what, was, what he was trying to deceive with. No, you become like God, determining your own what's good and what's right and what's wrong and so forth. Determining right and wrong instead of God, playing God. I mean, you know, that causes some issues in our life. We've all experienced that. We're, we're wise in our own eyes rather than walking in the wisdom of the Lord. And then it creates problems as well when we put ourselves in God's place because if we stay in unforgiveness towards somebody, we're standing in the place of God as ultimate judge over somebody. But ultimate judgment belongs to the Lord. He's the only one who knows all. He's the only one that, that makes judgment from a place of purity, place of true power and knowledge. In his judgments, I think we often just think of the judgment of God. He's mad. He's out to get you. But every time you go to the doctor, you're allowing the doctor to judge your health. That's what the doctor's job is, to judge your health. And God, when he judges, is saying, no, you're out of line. This isn't good. This isn't my best for your life. This isn't my will for your life. He's the only one that can judge without somehow becoming evil within himself. Because when we judge, we're putting ourselves in his place. C.S. Lewis, he said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. How many times do we read in the words of Jesus about forgiving one another? Forgive from your heart. Now, forgiveness is not a feeling, though. We often think when, when, when we forgive, if, if I still have feelings of anger or hurt, have I really forgiven? It's not a feeling. Forgiveness is actually an action. It's, it's refusing to take revenge, and it's refusing to continue to bring up the offense that you're forgiving. I mean, take that from little things to big things. It's a refusal to take revenge and a refusal to continue to bring some, something up. Paul told the church, he said, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. So if we've been forgiven from Christ, which we all have, then it's our duty to release and forgive those who offend us. A man named Louis Smedes said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free uh, only to discover that the prisoner is you. That's powerful. Now, you might be thinking, Scott, you have no idea what I've been through, and I don't. And I'm not going to try to stand up here and give you the trite handbook of, of forgiveness. If someone's in an abusive situation or relationship, boundaries are very important. You can remove yourself from an abusive situation, but you still are called to forgive and release and not take revenge and, and so on and so forth. That's not easy to do. But you think of these examples that we see in Scripture and our ultimate example in the Lord. So it takes faith, and then it takes hope. It takes hope. He said, Joseph told his brothers, as for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. 
he saw it. He got into the 30,000 foot view with God and saw, you meant this for bad, you meant this for evil, but I see now how God has worked it for good. He got God's view. In life, life is a series of struggles, a series of problems. We talked about that last week. Problems bring pain, right? You go through a problem, it brings pain. And the amount of pain that we're going to experience from our problems is all determined by our perspective. So if life brings me a problem and I'm devastated by it, then I'm going to have way more pain emotionally in my life. But if I can get God's perspective that God is good and that God is working all things together for the good, then the amount of pain that I'm going to endure through that problem will be will be smaller compared because I have his perspective. In Romans 8.28, the Apostle Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's powerful. It doesn't mean God calls evil good. He works evil for good. He works difficulties struggles. He works our own failures for good if we cooperate with him. I was listening to a message years ago and the guy was preaching on Romans 8:28 and he told a story about a man named Hiem Pham. He was a guy from Vietnam and just past the Vietnam War, he was arrested for aiding the Americans and put into a prison camp. And he was pretty bummed, and he was a believer and a follow, follower of Jesus, but he was like, oh man, I'm in trouble. And one day when he thought things couldn't get worse, they, they gave him latrine duty, which means you get to clean the bathrooms. And he was in the bathroom, and he was emptying the wastebasket, and a piece of paper caught his eye. He saw Romans 8 in English. And so he went and washed it off because they were using scripture as toilet paper and he went and washed it off and he uh, put it in his pocket and he went back to his room and he uh, he read it and he saw and we know that God works together for good for those who love him and been called according to his purpose he saw that and this hope leapt inside of him that he was going to be okay and that God was going to work even this imprisonment for his good and so he started asking for latrine duty every day so he can make himself a little devotional out of all these scriptures that were being thrown away. And he and 53 other people decided that they were going to escape and that they had access to a boat and they were going to escape from prison and get out of there. Well, one night there's a, a knock on the door and it's the Viet Cong leaders. And they said, uh, we got word that some of you, you and 53 others, are planning on an escape. Is this true? And he lied. He panicked. And he said, no, it's not true. Nope, nope. And they left. And he wept inside. He said, Lord, I'm sorry that I just lied about that and did not trust you with the outcome of, of the truth here. He said, if they come back, I'll tell them the truth. Next day, they come back. And um, they said, we have word that you guys are planning an escape. And is this true? And he said, 
it's true. And they said, good, we want to come with you. And actually, we know you have a boat. We're sailors in the, in the, the Navy, and we know how to man the seas, and we'll get you out of here. And the rest was history. God working difficulties for good, even when we can't see it, behind the scenes. I've experienced this in my life. You experience a tragedy, a betrayal, difficulty, and if you walk with integrity and trust the Lord, He'll work it for good, for your good and those around you. We don't get to pick and choose what happens to us a lot in life, but we do get to pick on how we respond to the difficulties of life. Whenever you cut yourself and you get ultimately healing, it leaves a scar. And a scar is simply just a reminder of, I got cut, but that cut got healed. It's a reminder. In life, life brings wounds that God heals, whether it's emotional you know, stuff, relationship. Scars are reminders that something's been healed. It's God's grace. So it takes faith to forgive, it takes hope, and then it takes love. It takes love. The last verse, he said, So therefore, he told his brothers, Do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Sounds like Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good to those who are your enemies. Love them and do good to them. He, he loved them. He provided for them. That was love and action. Again, forgiveness isn't a feeling and love is not a feeling. Love is something we do. Love is an action word. And so by loving them, by, they were no longer his enemies. When you love your enemy and you provide for them or you do good to them, they're no longer your enemy. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's important that we, that we remember that. The Apostle Paul said, in Romans 12, he said, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. You're not responsible for somebody else's peace towards you, but we are responsible for how we live in peace towards others, as far as it depends upon you. We're going to take communion this morning. And as we get ready to take communion, I wanted to read the words of the Lord in Matthew 5. He says, therefore, if you are pre presenting an, your offering at the altar, and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar, and go first be reconciled to your brother, and then come present your offering. Reconciliation was preceding worship, is what he's saying. Now, some opportunities to forgive others in person and have you know, reconciliation might not even be possible. They might have passed on into the next life. But you start with you in your heart where you say, Lord, I forgive. I release. And if you have an opportunity for reconciliation, then, then find that. If it, if it depends upon you, you be at peace. If, if, you, if somebody wronged you, you can wait for them to reach out to you. You don't go and say, hey, you wronged me. You need, you need to let me forgive you, right? It, it doesn't work like that. But it starts with us. It starts at home in our heart. And as we get ready to move into communion, 
I want you to take a moment. Is there, is, is there a problem in a relationship? Is there unforgiveness towards somebody? Unforgiveness is a prison cell, but we have the key to let ourselves out by forgiving that person. And unforgiveness only harms the one that's not willing to forgive, ultimately. Talk to the Lord. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, we've been hurt by people. We've been hurt by situations. God, I know brothers and sisters in this room and watching right now going through some difficulties but Lord because you forgave us we can forgive and release and Lord we thank you for forgiving us and Lord thank you for defeating our enemies of sin and death and the evil one by your death on the cross and your resurrection You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, as we take the, the bread and the cup this morning, we agree with you that you are Lord, that you are Savior, and that we're forgiven and we put our faith in you. And that gives us hope and it gives us the ability to love. So it's a little backwards this morning than normal. The communion tables are set up towards the back of the room. And here's what I want you to do. Go grab the, the elements, bring them back to your seat, and then we'll take communion together. Crimson 
in people even in the midst of our rebellion and chaos we have one in the person of Jesus who chose to, to leave heaven and to come into creation and be one of us he took on flesh and he lived a perfect life in fellowship with his father and he submitted willingly his life unto the hands of sinful men. Over 20 times, Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, I'm going to be, I'm going to die at the hands of sinful men, but I'm going to rise on the, the third day. And the night that he was betrayed, he took bread as when he was with his disciples and he broke it and he took it to, lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. And he told them, he said, this is bread represents my body that's going to be broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. And he told his disciples, he said, this wine represents the blood of the new covenant, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He paid it all. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he wants us to live in that joy, in that grace, and in the power, you have the power to do what you could never do on your own because of Jesus and what he's done for us and by him giving us 
the Holy Spirit. Let's take the cup. Father, we are humbled today. We are humbled by your love, your son, all the gifts that you've given us. Lord, thank you for the people today who declared their discipleship to Jesus. Thank you for getting us to gather together and worship and to remember what you've done for us. Continue to grow each one of us spiritually and mature us into Christ-likeness. Lord, we want to honor you as we bear your name. Lord, we want to bear your name in a way that brings you honor. Lord, when we fail, help us to just get up and continue to follow after you. Strengthen us, encourage us, and help us to reach out to the world around us, to our neighbors, to our co-workers that are hurting and that are looking for answers, Lord, when we know that you are the answer. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.